What if you stay this time? I walked out the door. There's no memory left. Come back and make up a goodbye at least. Let's pretend we had one. Your life had a face, I would punch it. Yeah. Wait, what? Let me ask you something. Why would you make the point of saying someone's not a genius? You think I'm especially not a genius? Veronica, why are you pulling my dick? Suck my fat one, you cheap dime store hood. Welcome to another installment of the greatest moments in the history of forever. I'm Zach. I'm Matt. And this is episode number 106, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. That is right. Big movie. A lot of discussion points for this one. I feel like this is the first one. Of, well, not the first, but maybe like one of the first movies that I saw that made me be like, oh, I can be into like weird movies. Yeah, I would imagine that it was probably that way for a lot of people. I saw it in college, so I think I had already, you know, started yeah, you to get expand my down that film horizons a, yeah. a little bit. In comparison to where I am now, not really, but <laughs> yeah, it's you Didn't know. Didn't see Belle de Jour in college. No, we all have our knives chow moment with pop culture. That's right. Where yeah. you're just like, I didn't even know that there was cool stuff until three weeks ago. Yeah. <laughs> and it feels like you probably have multiple I do. moments like that throughout your life. I mean, this is a movie that over time, I've certainly kind of fallen out of favor with me a little bit. Not that I don't like the movie, but I just it never really comes up as something that I feel like watching. But like when I first saw it, I was just blown away. I mean, the, the whole concept of it, and then also leading into kind of the discussions that can spawn from it, not unlike an Inception, yeah, it's a brilliant premise. It's kind of one of those touchstone films for a generation, not unlike Donnie Darko or something like that. So it kind of carries the negative connotations at, over time where yes. it kind of gets associated with a, a time period. Yeah, definitely. But, and I this mean, is very kind of in the midst of the emo era. Yeah. But, I mean, it's considered one of the best films of the 21st century. Generally, it makes list after list in that regard. Charlie Kaufman won the Oscar for Best Original Screenplay. Kate Winslet was nominated for the Oscar. She didn't win, but it's her favorite performance of hers. And she's good in it, for sure. It's interesting, you know, they have her kind of playing against type and Jim Carrey playing against type. Their roles are, like, kind of reversed to the right. way they usually are. She's like the more eccentric. Yeah, she's the wild, spontaneous one, and he's very like calm and reserved. Almost annoying, you would say. He was the only actor not allowed to improvise. Everybody else was allowed to improvise and kind of go he with He had to stick to the script. Yeah, because they didn't want him to be Jim Carrey. Right. <laughs> 2004, Michelle Gondry, who 
honestly, he's kind of one of those directors where <laughs> he's made a lot of stuff. Nothing is really. I yeah, feel he like kinda, resonated with people as much as this one. Yeah, he kind of gets lumped into one of those like oh things white people like jokes books. Oh, I remember yeah. him being in there, but it was like well, I mean, it's I like, was always like I don't I only really know one of his movies. I never really got into anything else. Well, it did be kind rewind. Yeah, uh, after this, right? The Science of Sleep. I remember. I saw directed an episode of Flight of the Concords. I remember. Well, he did another movie with Kaufman. It was like Human Nature. Okay, I've not I've never, seen yeah, that. Yeah, I've never seen it. But so yeah, the familiarity with him is kind of less than Charlie Kaufman, who's known for kind of his crazy scripts and being crazy. Yeah, very thought-provoking material like adaptation and being John Malkovich and Eternal Sunshine and whatnot. The original idea came from a friend of theirs, an artist named Pierre Bismuth, who suggested the idea of you get a card in the mail that says someone you know has just erased you from their memory. It's kind of one of those ultimate writing prompt things that never actually get turned into anything, but you just see online or in writing workshops or something. But they actually took this prompt and made it into something kind of unbelievable oh yeah i mean the jumping off point for it is just so cold if anything else i, I can't really imagine someone not being intrigued by the uniqueness of the idea it's kind of unlike anything especially god 14 years ago now when it came out oh it's, yeah it's so different from i was a senior everything. in high school when i saw this movie rented it from blockbuster with my girlfriend uh <laughs> very romantic movie it kind of as it goes, it's kind of very uncomfortable, especially at that age, thinking of like your own relationship and where it could be headed. It kind of causes a lot of self-reflection. <laughs> Certainly. <laughs> about yeah. your relationship, about past relationships. It definitely hit me at a weird time. It made me kind of sad about relationships that I hadn't even had yet, if that oh, makes yeah. any sense. Yeah, definitely. I mean, somehow like, I projected this onto like situations like that hadn't even played out yet. To this point, I was not a Joel at all, but felt like those days were coming for me. <laughs> Just being this sad sap. I would say that we talk about certain years when it comes to cinema a lot, and we have a few years in general that we like, and we talk about as being like big years for movies. And I think one of the ones that I've always remembered and thought was kind of underrated, I guess, was 2004 when this came out. But I kind of consider this part of that late 03 slash 04 class. Because if you you bump it a little bit into the end of 2003, then you get Lost in Translation, Mystic River. You get Kill Bill Volumes 1 and 2, Shaun of the Dead, Napoleon Dynamite, Garden State, Collateral. I Heart Huckabee's Sideways, Closer, Million Dollar Baby, The Life Aquatic with Steve Zizou. And then even like the more popular pop movies were good, like Mean Girls, The Girl Next Door, Anchorman. It was just like a golden era, really. Was like Napoleon Dynamite around that time, too? Well, I did list it oh, you did. in that list. Oh, that was in your <laughs> critically acclaimed movies? Well, it was, yeah, because it was like offbeat. Yeah. It was, it was weird. Okay. Sorry, yeah. it was a lot to take in there. And I, I, skipped thinking... over, I skipped over plenty of good movies, too. I mean... I just tried to pick out some highlights. I, I think it was definitely like a fun 
time period. Yeah, that was definitely the time period where I feel like I made the leap overall into just being a true cinephile. And I was going to the movies just all the time at this point. Yeah, I can remember hitting up a lot of those movies I just listed in the theaters. However, I missed Eternal Sunshine. Back then, I didn't really know much about writers, directors, and stuff. It was still more of a star-based thing for me, for the most part. I mean, I knew Quentin and some other guys, but like... I think I was at like a weird point with Jim Carrey because Oh same. I did not like Jim Carrey from like being a kid. I, I didn't really like any of the Jim Carrey movies when I was growing up. And it was a strange time in his career beyond just the ones that you would have formed an opinion of him based on, which were huge hits right. probably. I don't know what was going on with him right like in the time period right before this. He did the Majestic yep. in two thousand and one. Which that was a straight role, right? Yeah, which was a flop. Okay. And then he did Bruce Almighty in 2003, which was kind of a return to broader comedy. And in the same year as Eternal Sunshine, he also did a series of unfortunate events, which kind of, I guess, balances out the seriousness of Eternal Sunshine. And then in 05, after he did Fun with Dick and Jane, which was like, I guess, a mild hit. And then nothing until the number 23 in 2007. This film kind of sticks out right smack dab in kind of the downward trend of yeah, his career. Yeah, were just kind of a weird trajectory for his career overall. It seemed like he just took less things and the decisions he was making weren't always great right. as far as which ones to take. Because coming into the 2000s, he was one of the biggest stars in Hollywood. Oh, absolutely. And he could pretty much do any project he wanted. And then he really really wanted to be taken seriously which happens to pretty much every comedic actor they start trying to do serious things for an oscar and it gets kind of (laughs) weird but (laughs) but eternal sunshine it's kind of great that he did this movie when they filmed this in 03 or whatever i'm sure there were probably plenty of other options to be joel in this movie but i think jim carrey probably brought enough star power to it that it's such a weird idea and how else are we going to get a budget for this oh we got a big star i think this got it a wider release and more people saw it and it made a lot of money relatively speaking and it got nominated for stuff and i think jim carrey's presence in the movie kind of propelled it to that you know i think if they had to settle for somebody who wasn't quite as big as carrey was in 2003 then this movie probably would have been a lot smaller and would have been harder to find for a lot of people. Probably, yeah. Well, I can remember, and certainly throughout my life, I've been like influenced by the popular opinion, influenced by whatever, various internet articles or or whatever. But going into this movie, when we rented it, I, I had no idea really what it was. I never had seen a trailer for it or anything. It wasn't even on my radar. So I went into it like completely pure and was just like, what the fuck is this? This is incredible. Yeah, I'm trying to remember exactly when I first saw Eternal Sunshine. It was probably, it definitely wasn't until it came out on DVD, like after the fact. Oh, yeah. But I don't know how long it took. I kind of have a vague memory of maybe renting this with Garden State or something oh, like wow. that. Oh, wow. The emo fucking double feature. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you Another can see where I, I was. Right. Oh, absolutely. Hey, I was right period. there. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so... Before we actually jump into the movie itself, I'll remind everyone, follow the show on Twitter, (laughs) at GreatestPod. Yes, emphatically remind people. Subscribe to the show on iTunes. 
and you know just continue to support us and yeah tweet the show if you're shocked that you know we've done 106 episodes we'll yeah. quickly shoot you down because we said we knew all along i did find out from uh ass clown earlier that they didn't even know the show was back so there was some excitement Yikes. there <laughs> It's only been back a year. I know. <laughs> but the, I will say that Ass Clown was excited. Well, they got a lot of episodes to catch up on. So right. Yeah. That's exciting. Absolutely. Anyway, I think we promised. Well, we didn't promise, but we said that there was the potential for a break <laughs> before the place. People the- really want us to keep our promises of taking a break. Well, I'm just saying there was a, the potential for a break before the Place Beyond the Pines episode turned out to not really be a full break. It just was a couple days later, and we kind of changed our release cycle from like Fridays to Sunday nights or whatever. Right. Yep. I think after this episode, there might be a week break. Whoa. For one week. It's big news. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> We're not going to commit to that. Yeah, you never know. I mean, anymore, it's just like there is no more like, indefinite hiatus threat anymore, it feels like. I mean, even if we say we're going to take a break, I feel like we'll probably do a give us a second. We have a lot of great episodes lined up, and we have a couple of great give us a second ideas floating around. I mean, we're definitely yeah, we've surveyed solid. people out there, and I think great is the word that's being thrown around. Yes. Okay. So without any further ado, let's get into it. How happy is the blameless vessel's lot? The world forgetting by the world forgot. Eternal sunshine of a spotless mind. Each prayer accepted and each wish resigned. Okay, so the movie opens up. It's Valentine's Day, 2004. We meet Joel Barish, played by Jim Carrey. A sad sack. Absolutely, yes. He kind of, at the last minute, decides to ditch work and hop aboard a train to Montauk. It's snowy and cold, but yeah, he seems like almost compelled to do this. We don't know where this is coming from. He doesn't strike us as the type of person that would act like this. He doesn't feel like he has a lot of spontaneous behavior in him. No. So he arrives there. We get the beach in winter aesthetic, which is something you don't often see in movies. I remember that kind of definitely sticking out to me. That's true. The first yeah, time I didn't think this. about that, but that's a good point. It isn't really featured prominently. I mean, there are other movies, I'm sure, but at the time of me seeing this, I was like, oh, that's something you don't see all the time. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so he's sitting on the beach. He opens up his journal. Oh, no. There are pages ripped Demo out. Demo Joel which he doesn't remember ripping out. It's kind of Laura Palmer-esque. And it's the first entry in two years, evidently. But we also see that he's not alone out there on the beach. And we see Clementine, played by Kate Winslet. This is weird, though. Like, when you know, after you know all the facts and you kind of go back to this, you are just like, Jesus, how much work do you have to put into, like, going through with this whole procedure? Like, the idea that they ripped the pages out of his journal... Or is that all part of the prep work that the person has to undertake? Like, make sure... Yeah, he's supposed to bring that in when he brings those items in, okay. I would imagine. Right. But yeah, when you kind of get into the nitty-gritty... of it all? Yeah. It's, it's kind of hard to believe. Yeah, because you'd have such huge gaps <laughs> right, of your life yeah. just missing. You would kind of go crazy, probably. Yeah, probably. Although it's like us trying to remember when we recorded certain episodes. Or yesterday. Anything. Right. <laughs> 
What are your thoughts on Miss Winslet in general? In general? Yeah. I mean, there's a queen and then there's a queen, you know? <laughs> I mean... One of my first real big Hollywood crushes for well, me. I, I just think to be an Academy Award winning actress who's in big movies and at times very serious movies, it, but like how willing she's been to just give so much nudity. <laughs> she's blessed us with nudity. Right. Seriously. I mean. <laughs> well, the Europeans, you know, they're much freer with their Absolutely, bodies. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> she's one of the she's first woke. actresses I can remember in a pre-IMDb, pre-internet age, looking up like how old they were. Oh. To being like, is there early. a chance? Yeah. <laughs> how much right. older than me is she? Is there any chance that this could work out? Yeah, and I mean, when you just think about Kate Winslet, for me, it's just class, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like what people think of you. Although it is strange that her husband's last name is like rock and roll. Or rock and oh, roll. I don't know who this whatever. guy is. Okay. It's real weird. I loved wait, was she with Sam Mendes before? Yeah, they were right. married. For okay, a while. yeah. That's a good couple right there. Well probably not, a lot of darkness there not though, I'm anymore. sure. <laughs> I think Revolutionary Road, there was a lot of truth in that movie. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Clementine on the beach, blue hair, obviously alcoholic. We see her <laughs> yeah, <laughs> retrieving a right. flask very early. You get like a very uh Ramona flowers words vibe. carved into her body <laughs> with the uh hair changing color all the time kind of a precursor really to yeah Ramona absolutely yeah. maybe that's where Brian Lee O'Malley got the idea for Scott Pilgrim they kind of have this awkward personality clash on the train when they finally start talking to each other Joel has no jokes about Clementine's name which obviously is important once you see no the jokes deal. no personality <laughs> I do like how they set this scene up because instead of playing the little music during the silences between them, yeah, they only play the music when, when they're, they're talking. Talk, right. And then when there's silence, it's just silent. And it's there's like a awkward. lot. Of, I mean, this movie is filled with uncomfortable moments. <laughs> well, aren't they all? Right. My name is Clementine, by the way. I'm Joel. Hi, Joel. No jokes about my name. Oh, no. You wouldn't do that if you were trying to be nice. I don't know any jokes about your name. Huckleberry Hound. I don't know what that means. Huckleberry Hound? Are you nuts? It's been suggested. <laughs> oh, my darling, no, oh, my darling, no, oh, my darling, Clementine. You were lost and gone forever. Dreadful sorry, Clementine. No? <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> It's just, it's a pretty name though, it really is nice. It uh, means merciful, right, uh, clemency? Although it hardly fits, I'm a vindictive little bitch, truth be told. So we have Joel and Clementine together on the train, between the booze and the non-stop talking. She seems like a lot for someone like Anyone, Joel really. To deal I with. mean, yeah, she seems like a handful. But especially oh, yeah. Joel. Right. But, I mean, for the moment, he does seem to deal with it, and kind of quickly it becomes like this new... Well, I'm sure his interest is piqued by this interaction. It would be hard not to... Well, it is, because right. he awkwardly ends their conversation, which I thought was kind of funny, where he's just like, I gotta do this writing or whatever. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but then <laughs> you. he sees her like walking down the street later after the train ride when he's driving 
and she's walking and he offers to pick her up and almost instantly it's like they're drawn together and it becomes like this very fast new romance right he's calling her right away when he gets home this is like the thing where it's like are we going to go through this in the order of the movie then yeah okay cool right so clementine is very outgoing and joel is kind of this reserved pussy (laughs) (laughs) but almost right away we get a taste of Clementine's move. Like her move right. is to be like, I want to take you to the Charles river, which doesn't seem close to where they are, but they no. drive there. Now I will say about Joel and Clementine's character, like relationship with Joel, you do kind of see why someone being nice is just so hateable. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like the extreme of it, but it's just like, you can really see Joel's, attitude and the way he talks really just being a grind i wouldn't disagree but i also feel like you can kind of see why she would get on your nerves oh (laughs) well yeah come on (laughs) that's what's so great about this you know they're both pretty hateable yet at the same time you like both of them by the end of the movie absolutely you're you're really hoping this can just work out for them Even though you know they're kind of terrible for each other. So they head out on this little journey together. Yeah, and we get this very cool shot of them lying on the cracked ice, which is completely real. It's It's a real shot, real ice. And kind of just a fortuitous moment, not really planned, that the ice would crack in a way that looked cool on camera and everything. But they got this awesome shot, and everything seems nice and normal. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it seems like it's what going could be well. weird right. about this. But then they come back from the spur of the moment trip. And suddenly we see Elijah Wood just waiting outside Clementine's apartment. And he's knocking on Joel's windshield when she goes inside. Now, Elijah Wood's character in his whole I mean, we can get to his whole move later of like what he does. But in the post of that, where we see him in this moment. Good God, <laughs> is he out of control? And he's just like, he says, can I help you? And Joel says, what do you mean? Can I help you with something? And Joel says, no. What are you <laughs> What are you doing here? I'm not really sure what you're asking me, Joel says. And he just goes, oh, thanks, and walks away. <laughs> it's such a weird moment. And obviously, if you're prepared for this movie and you knew a little bit about the subject matter or that it's Charlie Kaufman or whatever, you you were kind of expecting some sort of weird turn, and you're like, okay, now something weird is <laughs> yep, happening. We're in it quite get it yet but we're kind of going off the rails and then we fade to black and almost 18 minutes into the movie we're now just getting the opening credits yep and i remember this and just being like what the fuck there's probably a joke to be made here about the departed which famously has like the credit sequence 18 and a half minutes in but this movie predates the departed by a few years and we're at just under 18 minutes. This was The Departed before The Departed. And yeah. yet you never really hear too many jokes about Eternal Sunshine's credit. I don't even remember The Departed's opening sequence being that far into it. Holy shit. And it's real short, too. It just says The Departed comes right. up on the screen. Okay. <laughs> it's at, I think it's like not until DiCaprio is in jail when he has to do the pretend okay, yeah. jail thing. Right. And I think the Dropkick Murphys are playing for the first time. Okay. It's kind of strange because at that point you're like, well, we're already in Departed. We know. (laughs) Right. We get it. (laughs) This one, it's a little bit different because it works kind of effectively in this movie because you kind of are so 
you're in on this new romance and then if your kind of world gets tilted a little bit where you're like well what is the deal with this dude yeah well, who's this elijah wood guy he what's, seems what's crazy he and then we fade to black we get these credits and joel is just all of a sudden weeping in his car <laughs> and you're like okay <laughs> there's a familiar sight i mean i guess we should just address it now okay if you're watching this movie for the first time you have no idea what it's about you can kind of get thrown a little bit and then forget that beginning part and then right. kind of forget how it all lines up. And you're thinking that that beginning part syncs up with him crying in his car. Like that was them first meeting for the first time yeah. in Montauk. Right. But they don't make it a big secret, though. It's not like it's some big reveal that that actually is not is, the past. Is not the past, but that's the future. And then we're now going back to the how they got there. Right. It's not really hidden. There's a plenty of clues and context clues, and obviously her hair color changing all the time. You can kind of work backwards as to what era True. it's in and all that stuff. But upon first viewing, I definitely was like, oh, okay. They dated for a while, and then now we're jumping to yes. the end. Yes. Right. The first time you watch it, you definitely don't understand that that's the future until yep. the end of the movie and even then i kind of was like confused oh yeah for for a while <laughs> uh, for a while it, you got to think about it and kind of put the pieces together but anyway so you know just addressing that now i think hopefully most people that are listening to this will have seen this movie or at least be somewhat familiar i with would it. think right hopefully i mean not like we're really that worried about spoilers we kind of <laughs> If we, that's the if, show, if yeah. If you see the title of an episode, you can pretty much rest assured that we're going to go beat by beat yeah, through the plot. Yeah, if you want to watch it, don't. <laughs> so Joel goes home from wherever he was, presumably like outside of Clementine's apartment or something, and Elijah Wood and Mark Ruffalo are in a van outside Joel's apartment building, and they're clearly there for him, Staking but we don't understand out. what the context is yet. Right. Joel encounters his neighbor, Frank. We find out that Valentine's Day is a day away. That's your first clue. But you could be thinking that this is the next year or two years True, from the right. beginning or whatever. But anyway, that kind of gives us some context of time because time you know, kind of becomes an issue throughout the film. Although I would argue that it's almost irrelevant once you kind of get more into the feelings of the scenes rather yeah. than what when they're happening. It doesn't really matter. For you to say that, that really means something. <laughs> the king of time. Sometimes you got to just ignore it because it's too sad. <laughs> it's too depressing to think right. about all the time. Should I do the thing about how... I think you should, yeah. <laughs> I was thinking that, okay, the first thing where I fell in love with Kate Winslet was obviously Titanic. I, shockingly, I missed you Sense and Sensibility. America, right. So that came out in 97. Okay. And the time between Titanic and Eternal Sunshine, which came out in 2004, is seven years. Right. But to me, they feel like completely different eras of time. I would agree. Although I do sort of associate Titanic with close to the end of the 90s, and I do associate Eternal Sunshine well, we with close to the beginning of the 2000s. Why you are different because right. you were in middle school and then high school. Whereas <laughs> I know. I know I was, we figured it out. We're putting it out there for the listeners. Jeez. But so the time between Eternal Sunshine and now is double the amount of time between Titanic and Eternal Sunshine because it's been 14 years. Yeah. But I still feel like Eternal Sunshine well, is like on. a Well, hold on. Let's make sure movie. everybody's okay with that. <laughs> like, let that sink in. 
<laughs> all right, it's, it's not as jarring information for right, people. It's not as like revelatory as the dazed and confused thing. All right. Uh, well, yeah. Come on. <laughs> Wait, one day when we do that, finally. <laughs> We'll really get into that. Well, at this point, I, I think people would be shocked that we would find that shocking because now it's right. just been like so much time. <laughs> I know. I don't know. It's just one of those things where I think at a certain point you stop thinking of things as changing and it just becomes your life at a certain point and yeah. nothing is different anymore. So Eternal Sunshine falls on one side of the line for me, whereas Titanic, I was still like a kid. Right. In reality, those are like kind of the same era for her in her life probably very similar true like her 20s yeah but for me it's just like two different worlds right <laughs> <laughs> but it's also very depressing to me that it's been 14 years since this movie well came that's out. the thing it's just at a certain point it's just yeah you're right it is like everything after i mean it's the same thing for me yeah my post-college it's just like every other movie after that falls into the same era yeah pretty much so Frank, the neighbor, kind of funny because we know based on Joel's weeping that things obviously have ended with Clementine, yet Frank can't stop talking about how lucky <laughs> Joel is and all this stuff. It's like, dude, give it a rest. <laughs> Does Frank not get the little letters in the mail? Does, uh, I don't. He, right. Well, he must not because he says hi to Clementine later. Either that or he just throws them right in the trash, which well, is yeah. what I would do. Well, yeah. I mean, it's like, oh, this is junk mail. I love in this pretend world that everyone gets these little letters in the mail and then just abides by that. Also, right, is willing to play along. I'd be like, yeah, go fuck yourself. Yeah. I'll talk about whatever I want, whenever I want, with whoever I want. Right. Even to like someone who like can't remember anymore, but you're still just like, remember that girl Clementine you dated? And he's like, no, what are you talking about? She I'm was a real bitch. <laughs> but I'm probably going to try to fuck her. Right. If I can. Yeah. That would be like, I guess, kind of an upside of it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Right. This episode's quickly going off the rails. Well. All right, so Joel puts on new pajamas that he opens out of, like, a plastic bag, and he takes a pill. Mark Ruffalo and Elijah Wood, who I'm not really referring to by their character names yet, because we don't know who these people are. They're True. just two people. And I can't say that I do know what their character names are. Anyway. I wouldn't if I wouldn't have put them in my right. notes. But they go into Joel's apartment after the lights go out, and we find Joel passed out on the floor. <laughs> he couldn't quite make it to the bed. It's a powerful so, sedative. And so now the next thing that we know... Joel is laying in bed and his encounter with the neighbor Frank is happening again. But now it's like Joel is watching it from his bed like it's a scene on TV in front of him rather than him being an active participant in it. Yes. So he's like watching himself. And then all of a sudden it kind of blurs and blends into Joel relaying a story to a couple of his friends. Rob, played by David Cross, and Carrie, played by Jane Addams, who we love. Yeah, power couple in the movie, too. We love Jane Addams. She was in Twin Peaks The Return. She was in Wonder Boys. She was in the show Hung on HBO. She's just the queen. Right. We love her. Yes. <laughs> and this story is basically about Joel trying to reconcile with Clementine. Why would she do that to me? Hey, does anybody want to join? God, Rob, give it a rest. She's punishing me. I know. For being honest. It's horrible. I should just go around. No, 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 no. You, you don't want to go there, man. You don't want to go there. Get off. It's too... Right. Yeah. I don't want to seem desperate. Joel, why don't you just see this as a sign? Make a clean break. Mm. Right? Right? Oh. <laughs> All right, Joel. Look, man, seriously. Rob. Here's the deal. 
Don't do that. Rob, what are you doing? Well, what's your fucking suggestion, Carrie? What's your brilliant reason solution? Oh, you're huh? gonna make this about our shit now? This isn't about us. I agree. It's not about us. It's about Joel, who's an adult, okay? Not Mama Carrie's kid. What are you... That's your laundry. That's great. That's good. some place that does a thing now this is like a relatable moment for me too by the way sadly you know i don't like <laughs> looking back on these moments but it's like this is like when you got kicked out of the mall oh yeah <laughs> but it's just even the times where it's like you were in a relationship and i mean i don't know if you have memories like this but like hanging out with like another couple and then all of a sudden it's like you break up and then you're just hanging out with the other couple right I mean, it's always just a lot of dark times associated with that. All right. Well, yeah, I want to get into like Rob and Carrie in a second here. So we're told that Valentine's Day is three days away in this scene. So now we can we understand that we're kind of working backwards in reverse chronological order. So the story is of Joel buying Clementine a gift and taking it to her work, but her acting like she doesn't know him at all. And we actually see this play out. So it's kind of a memory within a memory. Mm -hmm. She's already got a new guy. We don't see his face. But if you listen closely, you can tell it's Elijah Wood by the voice. Right. As Joel is walking away, still in the store, the lights are going out behind him. And he passes through an entranceway. And suddenly he's back in Robin Carey's apartment. So you're like, what the fuck? Yeah. And things that are starting was, to look weird and be weird, and so you're kind of understanding this is some weird reality we're in now. Right, and at this point, like the first time I saw this movie, I, I could not get it. I, I wasn't really <laughs> getting what... I was like, I don't understand why she doesn't know who he is. Well, right. have to keep watching. Yeah, okay, there you go. That's what I learned. At a certain point in the movie, you start to understand that the movie is now just taking place in Joel's mind. Right. And it's weird to kind of watch these scenes. And obviously a lot of this is kind of the way that Michelle Gondry or whatever directs it. But it's, the scenes are very chaotic. It's not just like lights going out. It's like things being like sucked away. Yeah, I mean... We haven't quite reached this point in my notes, but I can kind of mention it a little bit that a lot of what you see on the screen is just different kinds of trickery, camera tricks. Oh, so there's not right. a whole lot of actual special effects or digital effects. Sometimes characters would just kind of sneak through like a secret door so that they suddenly wouldn't be in the room anymore and stuff like that. Okay. Rather yeah. than any like stopping the shot and like, you know making it seem like they're just not in the room well, or whatever. Michelle Gondry is like kind of known for these sort of throwback to like old effects and stuff. Yeah. In his movies. There's even one where Jim Carrey would literally be, if he's sitting in like a chair in the doctor's office and then he's also watching it, that he would just run back and forth oh, okay. while they went right. to like film like Tom Wilkinson or whatever the other actor was in that scene. And then he would just be moving back and oh, forth wow. rather than actually like. I'd just doing... be like buckets of sweat coming off my forehead. <laughs> well, not running. I mean, he just has to like dart <laughs> right. around it in a certain way or whatever. Yeah, it's pretty cool. We'll talk about that more as we go along. Joel doesn't know what to do. 
Rob and Carrie are kind of exchanging like knowing glances, like they kind of know what's happening, but Joel is in the dark. And Rob decides to break the news to Joel and Carrie disapproves. And it kind of is like of there's some course. tension there. And I get that maybe we're having a little bit of female solidarity between Carrie and Clementine, oh, but God. <laughs> Rob and Carrie were clearly friends with Joel before anyone even knew Clementine. Oh, right. So they knew Carrie should 100%. I mean, maybe she's like, this is a good thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I think, what do you do in that scenario? I guess, in a way, she's thinking this is just maybe for the best is to try to act like this isn't happening. But right. I don't know. If we all just pretend she never existed. Yeah, I mean, Rob is more or less taking the approach that we would probably take, which is, this is fucking She's stupid. a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck her. Yeah. We are introduced to the main premise of the film, the main idea, which is the idea of erasing someone. And Rob hands Joel a little card that they got that says, Dear Mr. and Mrs. Egan, Clementine Krasinski has had Joel Barish erased from her memory. Please never mention their relationship to her again. <laughs> Which I do love Thank that. Thank you, Lacuna Inc. It kind of does remind you of the please stop with your inquiries from Eyes Wide Shut. Which, which are useless. Right? <laughs> this is, a, again, one of those moments where I was just like, what? This is what this movie is? And then I was like, holy shit, that would be crazy if like you could do that. And then like there were definitely times in my life following this movie where I was like, Jesus, I wish that existed. <laughs> yeah, I think something we should maybe talk about at the end is how our feelings on the, of this movie and our takeaways from it oh, changed certainly. and evolved over time how we felt about it back then versus now so as joel is looking at this little letter clementine's name disappears which he doesn't really seem to react to that but it kind of gives us an idea maybe of what's happening right we still don't fully get it yet so lacuna inc i do like the 2004 idea of guerrilla marketing that was going on with this movie because they created lacuna inc.com which was like a fully functioning website that you thought was kind of real there was no indication that it was for a movie unless you oh, right. went to like one little I video forgot. that yeah. turned out to be a trailer for the movie right but everything else about it seemed like a real website what well, is weird yeah stuff like that but <laughs> they used to just do so much weirder little marketing campaigns for movies i feel like than they do now Lacuna takes their name from the latin word meaning a cavity hollow or dip especially a pool or pond Transfiguratively, lacuna comes to mean a gap, deficiency, or loss. The term lacunar infarct refers to a stroke that involves a small area of the brain responsible for a specific function or even a specific memory. Additionally, in papyrology, which is the study of ancient manuscripts, a lacuna is a hole where part of the text is missing and which sometimes can be reconstructed. So that's where they got the name. Yeah, I feel like I have some of those in my brain like currently. <laughs> Yeah, I think everybody probably does right. to a certain extent. There's that part in the movie where he says, does it cause brain damage or whatever? And I don't know if it's Tom Wilkinson yeah. Yeah, that says, like, well, it is brain damage, really. Like, yeah, technically it is brain damage. <laughs> yeah. It's like, okay, sign me up. Joel decides to check this place out for himself. We meet Mary, played by Kirsten Dunst. Looking really stunning for me. Yeah, she seems to have like an administrative role at this company. I kind of think of this as like transitional Dunst. Yeah. The transition between Bring it completely on. unserious teen movies and then now what we have 
today I was like never, a very serious actress. Right. I, I never would have seen it coming with her. I mean, I don't know what all was in between, but she's still doing stuff now. I think this movie is kind of one of those sliding doors moments oh, wow. for her career. Right. Yeah. I think if she isn't in something this cool and legit at that time period, I mean, she may not be someone that we see today. Okay, maybe. I kind of think this, this you know, put her in a position that forced people to think about her differently and to see her differently than just like a teen star. Yeah, I mean, I if I had any idea that like a melancholia was coming <laughs> down the line, yeah, she's super cute in this movie, although she's very young. I think she's in her early 20s in this movie, which kind of makes some of the things that come up later oh, weird. Yeah, a little bit. I guess Joel's trying to just find out what the deal is with this place. He meets Dr. Howard Mirzwiak, who confirms that this is actually a real thing that can happen. Mirzwiak, played by Tom Wilkinson, who we've kind of name-checked a few times already. Kind of a cool role for him. He's somebody, obviously, that has a it's big just career. A shitload of movies. Great actor. Kind of brings a credibility to just things. Always especially this. like great for with his delivery, I feel like. Yeah, because he's English. You well, there you go. You they invented know. acting. <laughs> you wouldn't even know right. from this movie. So it fades from the clinic back to Robin Carey's house, to Carey's kitchen, Joel explaining it to her. And Carrie says something that I love. She says, what can I say, Joel? You know, Clementine's just like that. She's impulsive. She decided to race you almost as a lark. (laughs) And that is. And they really beat you over the head with just how impulsive Clementine is throughout the movie. Well, certainly, yeah. yeah. Because I think part of it is certainly by the end of the film, I think we're supposed to take away that Clementine made a huge mistake. Like this, And most people who probably had this procedure done made a huge mistake. Well, that the right. cost was yeah. not really what they thought. I don't know. In. I'm really kind of torn on that. I don't know if I feel like if I went through with this that I later would have regretted it. Obviously, if you're not aware of it, you can't regret it. But I just mean like. Yeah, but I don't think it's necessarily that you regret it because of the person. It's you could have. Reg- it's just like, in other words, you shouldn't just you just shouldn't do stuff like this. True. It would be it's like plastic surgery idea. or something. <laughs> So I do like in the scene, Rob is just building a bird's nest in the kitchen. Well, he's very resourceful. It just reminded me of that guy in Twin Peaks Fire Walk with me. That's just okay, like which welding guy? or whatever. Oh, in yeah. The corner. It's right. like, what? He's just <laughs> banging no reason, away on yeah. a bird's, on a birdhouse well, I, that's or whatever. What, one of the things with like, the, I just feel like there's constant like chaos, just like noise going on. Joel has like a bit of a meltdown. And okay. I, I kind of get it because... It's kind of like when the girls kill themselves in The Virgin Suicides or something. It's just like, it's so, there's no going back. Yeah, this part did really kind of hit me. Like, his reaction to the fact, if you really were still in love with this chick or whatever, and she pulled this move where she had you erased from her memory, it's like as final as death, basically. (laughs) You know what I mean? Even if there's never a chance of getting back together, it's still the ultimate betrayal. Wow, yeah, and you're like, holy shit. And yeah, so I mean, he kind of realizes the severity of this move, and he barges in to see Dr. Mirzviak, and he kind of turns this into an eye for an eye thing, which I guess is like the only response you can have when you're that distraught about it. Great business model, though. (laughs) <laughs> it's like LASIK if someone gets like one eye done. You know, they need the other one. That's true. I enjoy Mary saying pre-Valentine's Day is our busy time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's funny. 
there are some good jokes in this. Yeah, I mean, there are definitely funny parts. Sometimes the funny stuff is kind of cringy because it's so relatably well, yeah, bleak. <laughs> <laughs> relatably bleak. <laughs> That's the title of my autobiography yes, right. coming out later this year. So Dr. Mirzviak tells Joel that the first thing he needs to do is go home and collect everything he owns that has some association with Clementine, anything. They will use the items to create a map of Clementine in Joel's brain. Photos, clothing, gifts, books she may have bought him, CDs they may have bought together, Don't you journal feel entries. Like that no matter who the person is, if they were having this done, you'd always be kind of tempted to leave something. I don't know. I just feel like everyone would be like, just because it's like this who? procedure who is, is so weird. Like, Joel uh, the, the, or the people doing no, it? No, sorry. Joel. The person who's getting it done, Joel, leave something behind that would remind you of it. Well, I think people generally... Or they've come to terms put, with the finality of this. Well, I think people generally put their faith in doctors. Okay. And so so if they're a doctor tells to you something, I think you would be afraid that something bad would happen. Like you would go crazy or your brain would right. snap or whatever. If the doctor says, this is what you have to do, I think most people would just do it. Yeah. I guess I have a hard time letting go of something just completely. Well, he does find the thing. That picture that he drew. Right. Later. Where she looks skinny. She's like a skeleton. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and that's the thing. The actual logic of this is kind of hard to buy. He seemingly collects everything over the course of just a few minutes into like a big garbage bag, but you know you would miss stuff. Oh, yeah. And so it would have some sort of association. It leads down a whole other road. It's like, is this procedure that you're doing going to prevent you from dreaming about this person? Would this be someone you would see in your dreams and you would be like, I don't know who this is. Right. And then you'd be like more freaked out. Yeah. Or you did forget something and it's like, why is this other toothbrush here? Yeah. Yeah. Just drive yourself crazy. And I do think if this became like a real life option, there would be so much potential for science fiction stuff to sp spring from it. Just oh, because yeah. Because a lot of like unknowable horrors that could arise from this going wrong or something. Right. <laughs> but the idea is they want Joel to empty his house. They want him to empty his life basically of Clementine. And then the technicians will come in and do the erasing while Joel is at home. That way when he awakes, he'll be in his own bed as if nothing has happened. So hopefully when you're watching this at this point, you figure out what's happening with Joel at the beginning of the movie when yeah. he op rips open the pajamas and takes a pill and right those two is it a requirement to get new pajamas for this i don't know they don't really get into the nitty-gritty of it all <laughs> yeah. but i think right now is as good a time as any to just give a reminder here that it's important to remember that in terms of the universe of this movie all of these events that we're seeing have already happened in the past and what we're seeing, Sometimes you do kind of lose yourself in it. Yeah, and what we're seeing is just the memory of these events occurring in Joel's mind. The erasing process works in reverse, so we're seeing the events in reverse chronological order. And so it kind of gets tricky because he interacts with it well, that's as the if thing. it's a, a living so organism. So many minutes of Kate Winslet's acting as Clementine in this movie is not really the character Clementine. And it goes back to what you were talking about the other day. Not that we like to often reference Inception on this show because of just what a disaster <laughs> the podcast was, but <laughs> but it is like that thing where it's like, it's not really Clementine, it's a, the projection or whatever version of it that you want to call it. 
Yeah, I mean... But he's interacting with it so much, and especially once kind of this mission starts. I think we should circle back to this, though, at the very end. Okay. Because I think it's kind of worth exploring the idea of that and what they're potentially implying by the end of this movie and what we're supposed to take from it. But we'll get there in a bit. The movie splits here into two stories, both of which involve Clementine. We have Joel's journey through the past, and we have the drama of the Lacuna employees, which is in and of itself is its own movie. Really. Certainly, yeah. First, Joel collects a bunch of shit, supposedly all of his Clementine shit. The Doctor and Stan, who is Ruffalo, have Joel react to all of the items one at a time, focusing on the memories, while he's attached to their machines and they can read activity in his brain. Patrick, who is Elijah Wood, and Stan are working in Joel's apartment as Joel sleeps. So this is the first time we're kind of cutting back to the apartment. We right. see, okay, these two guys work for Lacuna. They've come into his apartment. They're doing this erasing process yeah, seems while like Joel is asleep. Kind of a fun gig. Maybe. <laughs> it's weird. Yeah, it's certainly weird. It doesn't seem that hard, though. No, they really dumb down the science of it all. Yeah. Because the God knows you wouldn't Technology is really able to take know. care of most of it, right? <laughs> yeah. It seems kind of crazy to me that you would be able to map something on a brain. I, yeah, I you know. just put one of those like tin cooking bowls over somebody's <laughs> head. <laughs> so now we start jumping around in time a lot, but we're also starting to see Joel's memory of Clementine as if he's currently living those moments while the erasing process is underway. Things in the memories start disappearing as he's experiencing these moments, which kind of has a cool visual effect to the movie but also proves kind of emotionally impactful as well because right these things are start slipping away from him and, and you kind of realize the gravity of what's happening to him yeah well the fact that you work backwards makes it a little bit more impactful because it starts off like so bad and you're like oh yeah this is the right choice but then when you start to see some of the more happy interactions between the two you're like wow this is yeah. It's an interesting way to set up a relationship movie is to see it a relationship in reverse starting right. with the disintegration of the relationship. But I do think it's important to keep to remember what I just said, which is we're experiencing these moments as if he's currently living the moments rather than kind of how we saw that first interaction with the neighbor Frank when he's like laying in bed and just watching it. it all of a sudden it's like he oh, can right. interact yes. with it and seemingly change things in it and affect it as if he's kind of halfway performing what's already happened and his part in what's already happening, but the other half able to effectively revise his own memories by saying different things. And at a certain point, we haven't got there yet, but at a certain point, he kind of pulls Clementine into that where she's reacting. Oh, yeah, yeah. As if things can just change and she's her own individual person or whatever. Now, how do you make sense of that? Well, I mean, the easy way to do it is just that this is all in his head. And yeah. He, he knows so much about Clementine that he's able to thus create kind of a realistic projection of her in these dreams slash memories. So there you go. But I don't know if that explains everything. Right. <laughs> yeah. As we pointed out, or as I pointed out, it should be noted that virtually all of the most bizarre and fascinating scenes in this movie were created with old-fashioned camera editing, lighting, and prop and set tricks and that the use of digital effects was very limited. They used secret doors, camera movement, forced perspectives, etc., to create all these different interesting things, but very little as far as CGI or anything like yeah. that. Again, I, probably one of the reasons I like it, it goes back to that filmmaking style that I enjoy. 
to this point in the movie, we've kind of only got the events kind of leading up to the erasing. So we finally get their last memory together. It's 3 a.m. Joel is reading. Clementine is just getting home. She's wrecked his car. Holy shit, this scene. <laughs> it took me a second to remember where we're at. This is, again, another clue referring back to the beginning because we see Joel's car at the beginning of the movie and it's got all fucked up. Oh, yeah. And so, obviously, this is the moment where that actually happened. Although, as we said, if this is your but first good, time watching How movie, long was Joel holding some of this in where this conversation goes? So, Joel is pissed. She was driving drunk. She starts needling him. Now, ultimately, you know he's pissed for more than that. The, she's coming home so late. Yeah. This is kind of one of those situations, I think we all know it, which is oh, the relationship yeah. has oh, been over, yeah. but no one has put it out of its misery yet. It's still some t- somehow existing. Right. And we want to make sure it, you're just like an assassin and fucking kill it <laughs> with just a horrific line. So when the question of potential infidelity on Clementine's part comes up, he says that he just assumes that she fucks somebody because isn't that the way she gets people to like her? Oof. You can kind of tell that Oof. this hits close to home for her. Right. <laughs> Maybe there's a little bit of truth there. Yeah. A well, little bit. Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing that happens in a relationship. It's like you do know the things that would hurt the most. And it's yeah a nuclear option that's always there yeah. that you could use, and you know you can use it. And, and when, when you, you finally do, do it, there's no turning back. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. I've, I know I that. was going to say, yeah, this. <laughs> I would think this scene would resonate with you <laughs> in particular. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> well, it's one of those things where it's just like, even, you know, years later when you're considering getting back together after a run-in. Yeah, you can't. It's just like. You know, how is she even going to tell her mom that well, she's seeing you again? <laughs> well, that's why you got to get erased from memory first. Right. And then you can start over. Yeah. <laughs> so the fight spills outside. She's leaving on foot with Joel li- driving alongside. We get kind of a shocking faggot bomb drop from Kate Winslet here. And it's like, whoa. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. 2004, man. Yeah. I called her woke earlier, too. That was way <laughs> off. It's crazy, though, because I just watched a movie from 2012 yesterday, and there yeah. was somebody said I will say, though, it, it does <laughs> feel very real to the time. It just seems like because it just seems like she's just saying something to be so fucking mean to him because she's so annoyed by how he acts. Right. And she's also very hurt. True. And we kind of find out some more damaging things that Joel has said to her prior to this, because, again, we're seeing a relationship. This is the blow in up reverse. Yeah. Joel begins interacting with her as if he's aware of the erasing process. So it kind of introduces the idea of interactiveness with these scenes. In other words, we're not just seeing the memories play out like a movie. The memories are changing. Yeah. Joel seems to be inhabiting them as a world like any character in any world, able to react, make choices, say things, influence the inhabitants of the world, etc., it's a wild idea, but it, at least it establishes kind of a precedent moving forward. Yeah. We know, okay, this isn't going to be some static set in stone thing. This is something that he will interact with as if he's, you know, a, Certainly. a participant. And, in and I feel like, you know, you're just kind of accepting this stuff at this point. I mean, who is the viewer to say what, where the hell this is going and what should make sense? 
Well, that's the great thing about working within this kind of dreamscape context. It's like you can use dream logic, which is any anything goes, basically. Yep. In reality, back in Jill's apartment, Patrick starts admitting all kinds of crazy, unethical shit to Stan. Oh, he boy. Says, yeah. <laughs> he admits to falling in love with Clementine I the night say. that they wiped her brain. Yeah, Patrick, a uh, lot of schemes. He's got some Zach Morris schemes <laughs> up his sleeve. Well, the first thing he does is he admits to stealing her panties that night. Right. Now, I mean, I will say he must feel pretty comfortable with Stan. <laughs> what is funny, because at first they make it seem like Stan is just like n- not going to be down for this. He's just like, dude, what the fuck? Right. But then eventually he's just like laughing. <laughs> <laughs> boys will be boys. Oh, they yeah. high-fived and yep. laughed for 20 minutes. Right. <laughs> Mary shows up to Joel's apartment to join the party, and we find out she's dating Stan. And at this point, you're like, this job seems fucking fun. They're just, like, drinking beers. Yeah, they get stoned right. eventually. At some then- point, Mark Ruffalo and Kirsten Dunst are dancing around in their underwear. Yeah, it's a real wild scene. And I will say, you can kind of see a little bit of, like, nip action from Kirsten Dunst a little bit, I feel like. You mean, like, through the shirt. Right. Right, yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. I remember that being very, like impactful on me we start seeing more cringy negative moments between joel and clementine there's that thing where they're kind of at some sort of outdoor store or something and he says that he doesn't think she would be a good mother or something to that effect and Uh that of course is well yeah not a huge that's never great (laughs) in reality it seems like clementine is having a hard time with her life post erasing joel like the real life clementine she seems like on the verge of some sort of mental breakdown and i think you know ultimately i think we find out the reason is because patrick is stealing all of joel's words and oh right gifts yeah. and all this stuff because he's obviously has access and it's to like all getting of their in intimate. her head yeah and it's probably because causing a this weird crazy deja vu thing or yes. something. So Patrick leaves Joel's apartment to go deal with Clementine, leaving Mary and Stan alone. I mean, it's like psychological fucking warfare from Patrick, really. Yeah, I mean, it's Just some sort completely of advanced manipulating her. science fiction version of gaslighting. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Mary can't stop gushing about Dr. Mirziak, whom she refers to as Howard. I know Stan just really kind of humors her while she just goes on and on about this fucking old guy. I do think that it's possible that Stan lies at the end of the movie. You think he really he may have did the, done the same thing right. Patrick did or something? I don't know. He seems a little too yeah. I don't. Know. I, I know what Something's you mean. Something's off about all of his reactions. I don't know right. what they were going for. They never really explain it. I don't know. I guess it's kind of left. Yeah, you could take it either way. As you mentioned, uh, her and Stan are dancing in their underwear over a sleeping Joel. <laughs> but it is that idea, and, and that's maybe kind of how that scene between Stan and her at the end. After all of this stuff is introduced to you, you're kind of wondering, <laughs> like, what the hell else could be a lie? Anyone could have had this done. It all of a sudden leaves a lot of questions out there. Right, yeah, I think one that is kind of one of the big overhanging questions, almost in a... Blade Runner, Westworld sense well, yeah. of who's or human or I whatever. I think of it's like, like Mad Men, it's like, does anyone really know who their parents are? Because it's just like the <laughs> amount of infidelity and in people having kids with other people that aren't their spouse is just yeah. insane. That's true. Patrick is even more of a creep than we realized as 
he's just straight up using materials he took from Joel and Clementine's procedures, like love notes, gifts, etc., to assist in his new relationship with Clementine. But Clementine is freaking out, probably partly because that's just the way she is. I will say, and, and I also mean, because of what we talked about. Obviously, like Tom Wilkinson's character is, you know, this is a professional business. I hire professionals. Yeah, but, I don't know, man. Well, no kidding, <laughs> but it's like. You would think that if they're sending two dudes to do a procedure overnight in like a hot chick's apartment, yeah. I mean, it seems ethically <laughs> sketchy. There's all kinds of shenanigans right. going on. But yeah, ultimately, I do find all of this funny that Patrick is kind of dealing with a manic version of Clementine. And he's so in on it, though. Well, he's like one of those bull riders just like trying to right. hang on. <laughs> but it's like, good luck with all that. So transitioning to positive memories now, intimate memories, Joel realizes he wants to keep one. It's This is if, under the blankets, right? Yeah. This he, part was really fucking sad to me the first time I saw this. And this is that kind of desperation my theory, of him trying to cling to it, and it's just like pulled away. My theory here is that what we see happening to Joel throughout this movie and this realization here, which happens fairly early in the film, but then kind of becomes right. the focus. There's no turning back. Is that there's no turning back, and he realizes that the happy memories are valuable and that the pain is temporary, meaning the keeping this positive memory is more important than the temporary pain that he f was feeling. And I think we're supposed to believe, in the context of this movie at least, that that's what everyone thinks and what happens to everybody. Yeah. Now, if this was a real thing, obviously they would be using this erasure procedure for traumatic events, post-traumatic stress from war, seeing atrocities of war, being raped, being attacked, you know, seeing someone get murdered, whatever. But in this movie where it's just about sad, stupid people in relationship drama bullshit, then... I think we're the supposed to think that the erasing thing isn't really that I would be like it. trying to submit myself for for this procedure. <laughs> Joel starts speaking directly to Mirziak, although in reality we understand that this is only in his mind, but he's begging, bargaining. And I just wrote in my notes like how often is this happening? I would be like such a regular customer at this. <laughs> like I, I just can't let anything go. So it's like if someone fucking flipped me off in their car earlier, I'd be like, well, got to make another appointment. <laughs> Eventually, Joel wants to call the whole thing off, but he's powerless and still very much unconscious. In one memory, Joel takes Clementine by the hand as he's desperately trying to come up with a way to stop what's happening. They're running through memories, changing locations. People and things are disappearing. And she's part of the mission now, right? Like, right. She's having these interactions like, well, why don't we try this or whatever? It's like they're on the run from some unseen monster that evaporates everything in its path it's like the nothing from never-ending story <laughs> yeah it, it kind of is yeah also in his subconscious joel pieces it together about what patrick has done slash has been doing because he has been able to like overhear oh patrick right and yes Stan yeah talking and he heard about the panties and the whole deal <laughs> just infuriated <laughs> but can't get up we find out that Clementine has one specific move that I guess she probably does with all of her boyfriends because she's taken Patrick to oh, the Charles God. River yeah. Ice. Not very special anymore. And Patrick is trying things that worked in the past for Joel. You know, they're laying together in a scene that echoes what we saw at the beginning of the film with Joel. But Clementine is still pretty freaked out. 
as if a small part of her can sense something's not right with all of this. Well, yeah. He's putting the pressure on a bit much. Yeah, and I think that this kind of fantastical idea sets in motion like a whole bunch of fun possibilities, some of which, you know, we already talked about, but in kind of the science fiction-y realm, just this idea of what deja vu would mean in this universe where erasing things is possible. It would definitely be creepy and weird. Certainly. Then what? I'm listening. I don't know. You erased me. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm doing this in the first place. I'm sorry. You. You You know me. I'm impulsive. That's what I love about you. Joel. Mm Mm-hmm. I have another idea for this problem. This is a memory of me. The way mm-hmm. you wanted to have sex on the couch after you looked down on my crotch. What? Joel, the eraser guys are coming here, so what if you take me somewhere else? Somewhere where I don't belong, and we hide there till morning? Oh, man, I can't remember anything without you. It's very sweet, but try, okay? Okay. Clementine's solution is for Joel to dive deeper into his older childhood memories pre-Clementine and kind of take her like, with him. hide her somewhere so that there's still a faint memory of her. In other words, the erasers are only going to follow their predetermined path. Right. And if he can get her off of that path, then somehow he'll keep her in his brain. So this version of her that he's talking to and interacting with is kind of like, you could think of it as like a person or an object or just kind of a thing that he can just pick up and hide somewhere. Yeah. And then thus somehow still know who she is come morning. I mean, it's kind of a very crazy concept. But hey, when you're desperate. (laughs) So Joel is now four and Clementine becomes... This is actually one of my favorite scenes. Mrs. Hanlon. (laughs) Which I think she looks smoking hot as mrs hamlin yeah it might be hamlin hamlin i I don't know i'm just loving the get up i'm loving the hair i just you know i'm all in his mom is there and joel is kind of alternating between acting like a baby and acting like the joel we know who's aware there is a plan a baby (laughs) not much difference between actual baby and then just a pussy (laughs) pussy baby yeah this scene is kind of cool and it was created by an elaborate forced perspective setup similar to some used by Peter Jackson in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Oh yeah, the so hobbits. It it makes Joel appear to be miniature, right? He seems like a small child, but he still looks like Jim Carrey in every way. Yes. And Kate Winslet seems so much bigger than him, but it's really just a forced perspective thing and it's not actually any kind of elaborate effects. It's just kind of a crazy way to shoot it. Right. It's kind of cool. Yeah, I would agree. Clementine points out for so almost sort of like a whimsical feeling to this sequence. Yeah, and Clementine points out this is kind of warped, <laughs> which I think oh, yeah. I always am kind of like, this is weird because right. it's like she's an adult and she's someone that he's supposedly in love with or had sex with in this relationship with, but he's supposed to be like a kid and then she's flashing her panties to oh, yeah. baby Jolie and it's kind of got this weird sexual thing it going does, on. It does, absolutely. <laughs> It's such a cool moment in this movie and so innovative and different. And something, even when you kind of get the idea of what this movie is about and you're kind of experiencing it, 
you still would never expect this to be a scene that would come up. And yet somehow they've gone to another level of oh, yeah. taking this crazy idea. You go back into Joel's room, back in reality. Stan and Mary are nude, I guess, like post-sex. Yeah, so they've I, taken I, this it is to quite that level. a fucking procedure that goes on. Which is kind of weird, especially considering Stan's what Mary... Stan's just blown it all over the fucking apartment. <laughs> yeah, his load is everywhere. Right. I think this is just kind of a crazy thing, though, because especially when you factor in what Mary does seemingly an hour I know. Later. Well, that's I mean, the thing. She's, she's wild. Mary's a fucking sociopath, too. I mean, she acts like she's like all in on this stand thing, but it's like, yeah, not really. Weird. I know. Everybody's weird. Although it is just like, imagine if you're standing like Kirsten Dunst works in your office. Yeah. And like, I, I don't know. I mean, it just seems like quite a time. <laughs> An alert goes off and wakes them up. The machine stopped erasing in Joel's brain because of what he and Clementine, or more accurately, his memory of Clementine, are doing. They freak out, don't know what to do, and eventually decide to call Dr. Mirzwiak. This is when we get the weird bath in the sink thing where like Joel's mom is like bathing him in a sink oh, yeah. as a baby, but <laughs> right. then like Clementine's in the sink as well. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's just like a lot of weird things Imagery, being brought up right. here. Patrick and the real Clementine are driving back from Charles River, and she's still freaking out, which is kind of just a regular refrain now for the real Clementine. You can just keep saying, and she's still freaking out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> At the end of every, every scene, update, right. Dr. Mirzwiak shows up, Mary fawning all over him, calling of him course. Howard. It's so embarrassing for everybody, really. Yeah, seriously. Everybody should be embarrassed of this situation. I mean, Mary clearly has no shame. She was like, I just fucked one of the other dudes that works here. Yeah, he should be I, like ashamed. 30 minutes how, ago. You know, cucked he's being right now. Ashamed or incredibly <laughs> turned on. And obviously, Dr. Mirzwiak will find out has a history with Mary. And it's just, it's such a fucked weird thing that's going on. And but again, you go back to like that age thing that you, I mean, the fact that she's just like drooling over this like old man. Yeah. Okay. You know, daddy issues, I guess. Yeah, I guess it gives you hope. This is one of the reasons why this movie is so special, because if you just gave us the Joel and Clementine, then you're already at maybe the most innovative movie of 2004. True. But then right. they give you this very layered thing where you kind of see other bad shit happen because of this erasing process. Well, yeah, and the fact that this all plays in, plays back into Joel and Clementine's story. Yeah, it's like a goddamn episode of Seinfeld. Seriously. <laughs> It all connects. Ultimately, Howard has to step in and do this because Stan has kind of fucked it up. Howard, he, he finds the memory, the elusive memory that they want to erase, causing Clementine to disappear from Joel's childhood memory. In his room, Joel's eyes open, but he's still kind of in this dream state, and he's trying to force himself awake. But Howard just decides to give him a shot to knock him out further. <laughs> I'm kind of curious as to what would happen if he know. didn't get the full thing erased. I don't know. They do kind of act as if that would be like a big serious thing. It's hard to say. <laughs> Ruffalo really rocking like a wild James Gunn-esque look in this movie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he's got like the thick emo glasses. At one point when he's like with Mary later, at the end, that scene, I mean, they are outside and it like is winter in New York or whatever, but... I was noticing it. I was like, it seems like he's wearing four tops. <laughs> like, he's got like one of those puffy jackets, and underneath it looks like a leather jacket and two shirts under that. What's called? Layering, they call it. 
Sometimes you forget how long we've had Mark Ruffalo in our lives. I know. You do forget that. Do you remember him being in 13 going on 30? I do not, no. I, I don't think I ever saw that one, actually. That's definitely like a movie that I love. Is that one of the comedies that you own? No. Oh. Clementine's new idea is for Joel to hide her in his humiliation. And so we're taken to a memory of Joel jacking off to... It looks like... Uh, nudie cartoons i don't know is this like a harry crumb oh boy i don't know these things are real bleak looking at no points of reference for this for me he's got a kiss t-shirt on he's obviously supposed to be points of reference for that for me kiss (laughs) t-shirt clementine's face when they go to this scene and she's just looking at him and like it's dawning on her what he's doing (laughs) she's just like oh joel yeah this is sad It adds a whole other level, right. though. It's like a special treat Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to have her watching him do this. And then his mom walks in on him. So Oh, no. That kind of tells you why this is such a humiliating memory. Is yeah, as if the act wasn't enough. It's like, oh, Joel, you can't even have snuck like a Playboy or something with like real girls. It's some oh, sort of boy, yeah. depraved cartoon. Right. Who is he, me? It is, it's just like, <laughs> I don't even want the projection of Clementine to know. But that doesn't work. And so when that doesn't work, Joel tries taking his memory of Clementine somewhere really, really buried. This kind of feels reminiscent to the Inception, like the layers going yes, down, even, right. like all the way to Purgatory or whatever they were calling it. <laughs> Is that what they called it? What did they call it? Limbo. Limbo. Well, <laughs> well I don't know. Same so, thing, in right. some religions, they call Limbo Purgatory. Yeah, okay. Purgatory right. Limbo. It's kind it. of the same thing. So. <laughs> It's not lost. Yeah. They're in purgatory on this (laughs) island. It's a very specific memory of Joel as a kid with a bunch of other kids. He's being egged on to hit a dead bird with a hammer and then crying. Oh, boy. This memory. This is kind of like you're really starting to see why Joel is just like a (laughs) fucking sad sack. To me, there's so much beauty in the specificity of this moment that it has to be something that Charlie Kaufman experienced in some way. Well, whether he certainly he's Joel seems like he has this issues. Else. Yeah. Cause it's just like, where would you come up with this idea? It's like, Oh, a, I'm sure that, yeah, it's gotta be inspired by something. There's just a bunch of kids around a dead bird in a wagon and he has like this hammer and they want him to hit it, hit the dead bird with this hammer. And he doesn't want to do it. <laughs> it's like, I don't, yeah, I don't like it. Come from? Let's move on from this. Unfortunately for them though, Howard, Dr. Mirzak, he's got the hang of finding them now when they hide somewhere in Joel's brain. And now all of Joel's best memories... Other people have attempted this? Yeah, maybe. Now all of Joel's best memories of Clementine are going to go to... um, The way they react, though, I would say maybe no one has tried it to this extent. Because it takes them a while to figure out what's happening. Right, okay. Now that Stan has been completely cuckolded by this (laughs) man coming in and doing his job (laughs) for him... Mary finally makes her move on Mirzwiak. I really admire the work you do, Howard. I don't mean to be so familiar. Uh, it's fine, it's fine. I, 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 I'm happy to eat. I'm sorry. I've loved you for a very long time. That. Oh, Mary, no, it's, 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 you're a wonderful girl, I, but I, you know, I have a wife and kids, you know I have a wife and kids, oh, Mary. 
So while Howard and Mary kiss, while <laughs> this is so strange. I mean, okay. so Stan goes Mary outside for like five seconds. AF, yeah. So Stan goes outside for five seconds. Howard and Mary kiss. First, he's kind of resisting it, but then he seems to kind yeah, of be giving in. Yeah, but how can you, right? And then Howie's wife shows up. Oh boy, <laughs> I love that. I love Stan though. Really, just like a great teammate still for yeah. Howard. Yeah, as we point out, he's being cuckold. He can see them making out through the window and the wife approaching. And <laughs> his reaction is to just, like, lay on the car horn to get their attention to stop it. Yeah, I just wrote, really, Stan? Yeah, seriously. This is really low. Right. <laughs> Obviously, Howard's wife has been down this road before. <laughs> oh, yeah. And she's outside and she sees them. Yeah, the reality of what Mary's doing here is crazy. I mean, she's still got Stan, you know, drawing on the inside of her thigh here. Yeah, no kidding. And she's already making out with another guy. It's just like, whoa, honey, just hey, she moves fast. Yeah, (laughs) so she's a young, independent woman. I do love that Howard's wife just hits Stan. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, thanks a lot, Stan. Seriously. She's about to leave. Howard runs out, followed by Mary. In the process of the two of them trying to explain themselves to her through her open car window as she's driving away, Mrs. Mirzwiak reveals Mary already had Howard before. Oh, yeah. So this forces Howard to then admit that the two of them have a history and that Mary had the erasing procedure done on her. Weird that she would continue to work at the office after this. She didn't know that she had the procedure done on her. I know, but I just feel like maybe she could have quit before the procedure. I feel like that should have been an agreed-upon thing by all yeah. parties. Well, I mean, that's what I mean when you said that, like, this doctor's trying to run this professional thing. It's like he's sleeping with his, like, I know, very yeah. young employee well, I know. and then having her still work there. Well, his argument to his wife was just like, I had to. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. Yeah, that was his whole, argue, his whole case. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, we talked about the ultimate betrayal Oh, yeah. Of Clementine doing this to Joel. This is the ultimate humiliation. You being the other woman to a much, much older man who is your boss. Right. Having this kind of sad puppy love schoolgirl crush on this guy. And then, granted, Stan claims that he didn't know about it and that he didn't help erase her. But it just, you would immediately assume everybody knew and you're the only one that doesn't know because you had it erased from your mind. This is just, I mean, this is Suicide City at this oh, point. Yeah. This is so <laughs> right. humiliating. Absolutely. Everyone just, you know, you assume that everyone thinks you're just this embarrassment, this fool. And it really kind of rocks Mary's world. And she kind of has her own meltdown. You know, the rug's been pulled out from under her. And it kind of leads you to think about this idea that we already saw with Joel and Clementine about changing your mind at some point. Yeah. And obviously she forgets that this happened because it was erased from her mind, but it's like her reaction now is I would, you, you, or at least you're led to believe is I would never do this. Why would I do this? You know, that kind of thing. And so it's like, (laughs) yeah, it leads you to believe about anybody who has this done. Now, granted there does seem to be a certain amount of coercion involved to get her to do it. (laughs) (laughs) Although that is the great thing though, that he knows all this. And makes out with her again. (laughs) We find out, though, that this was back in, like, 2002, which is, like, two years prior. And it was, like, how old was she? Because I think in real life, Kirsten Dunst was, like, 21 or 22 at this time. And so 
what are we saying? She was like 19. It's like, Jesus Christ, this dude looks like he's like 55. Well, yeah, I mean, there's certainly some ethical questions here. So she goes back to the office and she listens to her own tape that she made oh prior boy. to the yeah. erasing. And in the deleted For scenes, some reason, they keep her file regularly with the other people's who've had this procedure. I just feel like that that's a lot it. of risk for an employee. And I guess he kind of took this all for granted and, you know, he was approaching it more as like a doctor with an official record rather than what he should be doing, which is the smart thing and just <laughs> getting destroy all the evidence and deny till you die. You know how you erase your mind, just tie her up and lay her on a train track. <laughs> <laughs> We're waiting for a train. Oh, as I was going to say, on the Blu-ray in the deleted scenes, this gets even darker when you listen when she listens to her tape. You find out that there was an abortion. Yeah, that she had to get. I didn't know that until you and told it, me. But yep, I'm glad they it, cut it. That takes it, it to a whole nother level. Yeah, it's like too dark because this movie's not necessarily upbeat or anything, but uh, certainly not takes it to a whole other level. Okay, so we're getting closer to the beginning of Joel and Clementine as a thing. Hi. Hi. I figured you'd show your face around me again. I guess I thought you were humiliated. You did run away after all. I just needed to see you. And, uh, yeah? I'd like to um, take you out or something. You're married. Not yet. Not married. No, I'm not married. Look, man, I'm telling you right off the bat, I'm high maintenance, so I'm not gonna tiptoe around your marriage or whatever it is you got going there. If you want to be with me, you're with me. Okay. Too many guys think I'm a concept or I complete them or I'm gonna make them alive. But I'm just a fucked up girl who's looking for my own peace of mind. Don't assign me yours. I remember that speech really well. I had you pegged, didn't I? Yeah, the whole human race pegged. Hmm, probably. I still thought you were going to save my life. Even after that. Mm. I know. It would be different. If we could just give it another go round. Remember me. Maybe we can. The character of Clementine has been noted several times to serve as a critique of the manic pixie dream girl stock character. Oh yeah, which you first my favorite topic. I think you first brought it up in the True Romance episode, but this is before that phrase itself was even coined. Oh yeah. It actually was created for the movie Garden State, which came out the same year, but it wasn't written about until a year later right? when someone was talking about the movie Garden State. And this character is kind of like the polar opposite of that, even though she's kind of wild and crazy and she yeah. dyes her hair and all this stuff. The I do think Manic Pixie Dream Girl is a dumb term. I do think it can exist to a certain extent. but Oh, I absolutely, think but they could have had a better name. Whenever you say things like that in kind of this dismissive way, it carries this negative connotation. And I don't think all of those characters 
are necessarily bad and that a lot of times people get very carried away with things and they accuse any quirky female character of being that. Oh, yeah. And it's like, that. well, no, that's not necessarily the case. And I think they're very unfair sometimes to some of these characters. But in this movie in particular, Clementine says, too many guys think I'm a concept or I complete them or I'm going to make them alive, but I'm just a fucked up girl who's looking for my own peace of mind. Don't assign me yours. Yeah. So people kind of take she's, that as this right she's calling out against it really yeah this she's a, a criticism of that character and i do think yes there are plenty of movies where the female character solely exists to support the male character and the male story and the male goal and everything yeah but it's one of those complicated issues i think all people male or female have different versions of themselves throughout their lives and it's like I just think there's certain females that would kind of admit to being this type of character in their own life for a certain time period. And it's like you could always be seeing a snapshot of that in a movie. Well, yeah, but I don't necessarily think it's just about like how the character looks, talks, acts, dresses, etc. I think it's just the concept that the character themselves is very one-dimensional. Right. And there's nothing in their story yeah i get it the story is not theirs they just exist to serve whatever the male story is or whatever but that's not the case in this movie in particular we go back to joel and clementine just acting out their past almost like they're resigned to what seems inevitable now but they're also interacting with each other and the world they're inhabiting as if they're aware of everything that comes after and everything that's happening to Joel's memory in that moment. So it's kind of this bittersweet time period in the movie where they go back to reliving these moments. The memories have gotten better because they've gotten closer to the beginning, and they're kind of on a conveyor belt towards the incinerator, if you will, and they right. just don't know what to do. Yeah. So they're just kind of living in these moments and experiencing them it's as like the a end pleasurable of thing. Toy Story 3. Yeah, like all things are. Yeah, really. <laughs> just so sad. Finally, we get to that first memory, the day they met. This is the day we met. You were down by the surf. I could just make you out in the distance. I remember being drawn to you even then. I thought, wow, how odd. I'm drawn to someone's back. You were in that orange sweatshirt that I would come to know so well and even hate eventually. At the time, I thought, how cool. Orange sweatshirt. Hi there. Hi. I saw you sitting over here by yourself. And I thought, thank God, someone normal who doesn't know how to interact with these things either. Yeah. I don't ever know what to say. I'm Clementine. Can I borrow a piece of your chicken? And then you just took it without waiting for an answer. <laughs> <laughs> It was so intimate. Like we were already lovers. I'm Joel. Hi, Joel. So, no jokes about my name. What do you mean, like, Omidar, then Omidar, then Omidar, sometimes? Huckleberry Hound, that sort of thing? Yeah. No. Like that? No, no jokes. No jokes. One of my favorite things when I was a kid was my Huckleberry Hound doll. I think your name is magical. This is it, Joel. 
gonna be gone soon. I know. What do we do? Okay, so if you hadn't figured out the beginning of the movie, I guess this is another big clue because we get that Huckleberry Hound callback where Joel does find out her name and is able to make a Clementine joke. Oh, whereas yes. at the beginning of the movie, he wasn't. This I guess is, now he has the reference point to pull from. Yeah, when they first met, he did. Right. <laughs> because we even see whenever he's a kid, he has that Huckleberry Hound doll, which he references here, and his mom is singing that Clementine song where, when he's bathing him, when she's bathing him in the sink. Yes. So it's not only was he aware of the name Clementine. So it also, that kind of spins it off of like, does he lose some other memories here? Yes. Right. I know. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I think it would be impossible to completely erase someone from your mind. Yeah. <laughs> Even if they figure out a way to like, kind of give you enough brain damage to forget something. It's like, you right. couldn't erase this much. Okay. So, for example, let's say you got a new job in the okay. course of a relationship and you learn how to do this job. Oh, boy, yeah. In the course of this relationship. How do you... There may have been times when you were at your first couple of days of work training and you're texting Clementine and she's very tight and she might have made a joke about somebody's name or something you've told her like, hey, I'm working with this guy. He looks like Macaulay Culkin or something. <laughs> you know, yeah, you yeah. make some joke and then she makes a joke. And then you always associate that joke with this guy that you worked with, and he's the one that told you how to do this one aspect of your job. Oh, no. And then she's so intertwined with this memory of this person. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. You your life would just I mean, be fucked, right? You couldn't erase somebody. It's like people worm their way into your brain more than just the things. Plus, it's like if you date someone for like two years, and it's not just like these two friends. It's like all these people that you do things with. It's like people would constantly be talking to you about like, hey, remember when we did this? And it's like, no. Yeah. At some point, you'd be like, why don't I remember any of these things that I did with my friends? So it's like, yeah, we had this surprise party for Clementine's birthday, and that's when Chad met Stacy, and now they're getting married. And then at the wedding, they're gonna make somebody's gonna make a speech about the first time they met, and it was right. like Clementine. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, there's yeah. just no way you could actually do this. Yes, <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> <laughs> they have a very sweet conversation here where they're kind of it's like aware of what's going on and. This is at that beach the first day they met, which is, you know, where they meet again all the time later. One of them says it's going to be gone soon. What do we do? And then the answer to I think Joel just says, enjoy it. And so they live in this memory. And Joel is very timid the first time they meet. And they have a very meet cute thing. But Joel's with somebody named Naomi, who is referenced throughout the film, although we never see. If you check out the deleted scenes, though, Naomi was played by Ellen Pompeo from Grey's Anatomy and yeah, old school. I don't school. know who that is. She was um, the chick that gets with Luke Wilson and old school. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. She's in a couple of scenes, like a lot of scenes actually that are cut. Oh wow! And she's in it. They even have this like one night stand at one point that I think it's implied. I guess that Joel maybe cheated on Clementine oh, no. when things were bad. Yeah. I don't know. It's hard to tell w without seeing those scenes in the context of the rest of the movie. Yeah, I guess really, like, some of the stuff that was cut out made it even, like, way more dark, actually. Yeah, I think ultimately they made Naomi's character too likable. Like, she seems very nice, and it's almost sad, the that fact that her he just and Joel don't work out. Yeah, that she gets thrown away for Clementine, so it kind of maybe negatively 
affects your feelings on the Joel Clementine relationship. So it's easier just to never see her. Yeah. But the memory starts collapsing around them like a dream and inception. I really love this like poignant, sweet moment where they're talking about Joel's regrets about that first night they met. Because, you know, in the story of Joel and Clementine, it doesn't matter that Joel almost botched the first night they met. Like, it doesn't matter because they still got together and dated for two years. But it's just very sweet that despite all of that, he's still kind of looking back on that first night embarrassed. Regrets about it. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. And she whispers, meet me in Montauk. We finally get to that part where... A we can circle line back. of dialogue that would be used in just every emo <laughs> song. This is the moment where I wanted to circle back and talk about a lot of the things that we kind of got to throughout the movie, which is, does everybody have the same experience when they're going through this? Do they all kind of regret it, whatever, as it's happening? What is this version of Clementine we see, this kind of thing? So. So in other words, we know that Clementine came up with this idea in Joel's mind. So it's not a real version of Clementine as right, far as right. we know. Yet she's there on that Valentine's Day in 2004. Yes. Yeah, so so then she it's knows like, about this plan. Right. Which then makes you think that they did the she same had thing a in similar, her brain. Yeah, she had a similar situation. That's the only way you could make sense of that. Well, I think about it like this, because like all these people start going through it, and it's like once they start being in those good memories, it's, it is harder to let them go. Now, for someone like me, who just like can't cope, it's like I'm always just remembering the bad. <laughs> There's not a lot of like, I don't look back fondly upon anything. I'm like, oh man, I miss those good times. I do sometimes. It's harder to remember them, I guess. I don't know. My memory's so bad. But maybe if I had this procedure, <laughs> I would be reminded of some good times. I mean, I'm sure they happened. I don't even need this procedure, honestly. My memory's gotten to the point where <laughs> it's like, I don't know what is going on right. anymore. <laughs> so it's over, and Joel wakes up. Mary, embarrassed, humiliated, whatever, is now quitting Lacuna. Making a whole scene about it. I guess it's over with Stan. <laughs> Stan is <laughs> kind sort of, of unresolved there. I mean, Stan is sort of the really unfortunate soul out of all of this. Because he really, you know, just kind of had something going with the, the girl in the office. And it just kind of all comes crashing down for him. Yeah, it was a very Jim and Pam relationship with right. him. Right, yeah. He, that's what, he thought it was Jim and Pam. But it was more like Andy and Angela. <laughs> yeah. We speculated, though, that maybe Stan wasn't always on the up and up. Yeah, and yeah. that he maybe knew about her and Dr. Mirzak. Maybe he helped and I certainly erase think her that memory. Probably could exist here. We don't know. We never get. They don't full make it seem like there's closure. a huge staff. Even no. the way that she kind of is really suspicious that he knew about it makes it seem like there's very few people that even do the procedure. Yeah, I don't even know for sure that there's any other employees than Mary, Stan, Patrick, and Dr. Mirzak. <laughs> so then it makes it really questionable. Yeah, I don't know. Okay, so we're finally back to the present, and we realize now that this is the morning Joel skipped out on work at the beginning. We cut back to that moment outside of Clementine's apartment when Patrick knocked on Joel's window. Clementine has gone inside to grab a few things, including her mail, and gets back in Joel's car. And I will say this, the way that they're acting with each other in the car before she goes in, there's just like this excitement, this like euphoric thing, and it, that part feels really real to me. Like, they just had this exciting interaction where they hung out like all night. Well, you could definitely look at this as 
kind of a story of people that are meant to get together versus people that aren't. And her and Patrick don't really work, even though Patrick kind of hits the right beats because it's not genuine and it's not real. Whereas even though she had a bad relationship with Joel that went awry, when they're presented with the opportunity of starting fresh, starting from the beginning with their memories erased, they still find their ways back to each other and things are clicking. Well, it's like they have that natural chemistry. Yes. Whereas like Patrick lacking. When Clementine gets back to the car, she has her mail with her and she has received a letter from Mary and a tape of herself explaining everything that's wrong with Joel and why she wants to erase him from her brain. Because Mary is just like, she can't accept this now. She she thinks everybody needs to know. Yeah, she's wiling out. She's sending everyone their tapes. At first I was kind of like taking a hip violation it feels like, but yeah, but this doesn't seem like right. it falls under anything. <laughs> yeah. But no, I mean, at first I was like this doesn't make any sense to me. How would Mary get these tapes out so quickly because we find out that the morning that Joel wakes up from this procedure is the morning that he goes to Montauk. But this is technically a whole other day has passed because they went to the Charles River. It's kind of hard to True. gauge yes. how many days have gone by. But theoretically, enough time has gone by where this could show up in the mail because, you know, they're local and everything. So they listen to this tape together in the car as they drive. And it's definitely like <laughs> it's this so surreal weird. moment yeah. where it's just like, obviously, Joel thinks he's being fucked with. But well, yeah. Clementine doesn't know what's going on. It's such a great moment that comes out of this whole crazy idea. And so uncomfortable. <laughs> Joel thinks this is an elaborate trick. He stops the car. Although makes it's like, out. you can't even make sense of it because it's like, what would even be the point? He's like, are you fucking with me? Yeah, you're fucking with me. You're an asshole. But it's like, what What would even be the point of anyone doing that? I know, but it's just, you know. I know, it doesn't make sense, right. What else could he think is happening? There's not, you know, no, no other explanation makes any sense <laughs> either. It's just like, get the fuck out of my car. He makes Clementine get out. It's basically a worst nightmare scenario for anyone is to hear this stuff. It's basically like you have a new crush on somebody Who and then all of a sudden you? you have a tape of them saying everything that's wrong with you. Right. Clementine goes home, yells at Patrick, which is great. <laughs> Just oh, a very yeah. funny moment. Weeps, paces around, and then using the phone book eventually goes back to Joel's apartment. He's, you know, she, she doesn't sees, know where it is. She's for, been erased. Right. She sees Frank, the neighbor. Yeah, and Frank like, recognizes Good to her. see you, Clementine. And she's like, oh, yeah. And confused. You know, she gets over there only to find Joel listening to his own tape about her. Joel pretty brutal in his tape. Wait. What? I don't know. What Just do wait. you want, Joel? Just wait. I don't know. I want you to wait for him. Just a while. Joel, I'm just a fucked up girl who's looking for my own peace of mind. I'm not perfect. I can't see anything that I don't like about you. But you right will. Now, I can't. But you will. You know, you will think of things. And I'll get bored with you and feel trapped because that's what happens with me. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>
this ending has always kind of struck me as kind of happy, but you're not 100% sure how to feel about it. It's like they're kind of going to go ahead and go for it. They know that it ended up so fucked up before, but it's just like, I guess kind of the point is like, even if it ends bad again, having the memories is better than not. I think my early memories of this movie when I was in high school and watched this was I thought it was like way more about fate and it's like, oh, they did this horrible thing, but they got back together. Right. But then like years went on and that was not quite the way I took it. What will everyone think? Like Rob, Carrie, oh, I, got well, those they're probably little letters. Like, well, they're like, oh, here we go again. <laughs> I know. The that's, writing's on the wall with that these That is two. the one downside. It's like everyone knows your dirty secrets, but you don't know. Right. So you were not embarrassed about it. It's just embarrassing for everyone yeah, else. You, really. I think eventually you're going to realize that everyone knows and well, you yeah. don't know. Right. I kind of take it as a positive ending in the sense that, for better or worse, the erasing process is the worst case scenario. You know yeah, I mean? right. Like, so it's be- like you said, it's better to just. But it just goes back to like. Not have it at all. Is the idea that they would just have this procedure done again? I kind of take what Mary's doing as, as the being end the, of it. Yeah, there's right, no, there's no more like option. There'll be tied up in like lawsuits if or she, something. Right, because if she didn't end it, that's like it just feels like it would just be this loop. Like you know what I mean? Like if she hadn't done that, wouldn't she just get Howard erased again? Well, because now she'd be so embarrassed. At least one version of the screenplay ends with Clementine and Joel in an endless cycle of erasures and getting back together. Oh, okay. In the last scene, an elderly Clementine goes to Lacuna, and the screenplay calls for the audience to see a computer screen showing a list of 15 dates of previous visits, stretching back 50 years, all of them involving Joel Barish. Oh, wow. (laughs) So, I mean, that's kind of like a funny, bleak way to end it. They kind of end it on a slightly more hopeful note. Yeah, it feels more optimistic. And, I mean, as you're going through, like, the sequences in... within the dreams where it's like fleeting and all these memories are being washed away it's like you are rooting for this couple even though you've seen the end of their relationship you are rooting for them and it's like it ends with them getting back together so it feels happy true but in like a movie context in like a fictional world their problems didn't seem that bad and unfixable it's just that clementine kind of did an an irrational thing and just went for it, and in response, Joel did it too, but now they're able to kind of get this second chance at this. That's true, and the fact that... Because what I'm saying is, like, theoretically, you would believe that Joel bought that gift for Clementine, which Patrick ends up giving her, right? which she loved, and Joel seemed kind of genuinely sorry, and maybe they could have worked it out, but she had already taken that final step that there was no coming back from and maybe it's supposed to have an implication that now that they both know that this happened before they have this chance to like you know maybe not act so fucking crazy and have that point of no turning back yeah i mean when i first saw this movie i kind of you know related it to my own life that doomed well, how can you not romanticism that we all have in oh our, boy like early 20s at some point right it's like, oh, this is about me. This is so important and blah, blah, blah. Although I couldn't tell which character I was. I felt like all of them a little bit. Yeah. And, you know, the pain is worth it. And the pain is what life is. So this relationship, no matter how sad and upset you were and all this pain, it's like, oh, the pain is worth it. More recently, I kind of interpreted it a little bit differently. More about just you're unable to fix 
history and it's like one of those things you can't like science and man it's just like not meant to meddle with it's true yeah people are prone to repeat their mistakes and do things over and over again and so of course these two people would just be drawn together again and live this again and there's still a little bit of that pain is worth it kind of mentality in there too but you know i think this is just one of those pieces of art that your appreciation for it and your reaction to it evolves over time. Yeah, it is an interesting question. Like, is the message from this movie an optimistic one or a pessimistic one? I feel like you can make an argument for both. I think a little bit of both. I think for Joel and Clementine, it's kind of an optimistic one, but for mankind the human, in general, right, it's yeah. a little bit more the human condition. Yeah. I don't know if you can look at it as anything more than just like a cool concept because I don't know Absolutely, yeah. if it's really... I'll always hold it up as that, for sure. Yeah, I don't know if it's really like supposed to be taken as like an actual warning of anything because I don't know how serious this kind of thing could be taken as a realistic possibility anytime soon. Yeah, just a very cool, special movie. You know, yeah, I mean, I feel like we got it all out there. I mean... Yeah. Um... <laughs> I'm left people really happy kind of wishing this procedure existed <laughs> after listening to this episode. Yeah, yeah, we offer on our Patreon the opportunity to <laughs> erase this from your brain. Right, or at least from your phone. <laughs> but then you'll just re-download it again. And That's like, right. Oh, let's do it again. Yeah. <laughs> it's a way for us to up our download count. It's just to erase people's brains. It's so working. Keep downloading it. But anyway, yeah, thanks for listening. Follow the show on Twitter at Greatest Pod. Subscribe on iTunes. Like I said, we might be taking like a little bit of a break. We've got some special apps coming up, though. Always. I would say, right? Onward and upward. Absolutely. I mean, I just feel like it's been nonstop good stuff. I mean, I just feel like going back, it's like Point Break wasn't even in our top 100 episodes. Eternal Sunshine. It just goes to show you oh, that yeah, there's, there's just countless... There's an infinite Opportunities. amount of things we could talk about. I don't know if I would really look at our top 100, though, as like our <laughs> 100 no, best ideas. I know, but it, we Havoc did. was in like number 11 or something. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, though, it's like we did 100 episodes and somehow like Eternal Sunshine wasn't in the mix. Oh, yeah. We've always got a few more heavy hitters in the back. Absolutely. All right. So thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.
Well, have a good day at work today, Daddy. Also, if you don't know already, there's a malfunction with the TV where it keeps ordering porno, like a ton of porno. Like, how can someone watch that much porno in one sitting? Only when you're out of the house. So if you see it on the bill, that's why, okay?